Welcome to Pop and Lock. I'm Natalie Dalzicki. Louisa May Alcott's Little Woman has mattered deeply to generation after generation of women ever since it was first published in two volumes in 1868 and 1869. It inspired film versions in 1933, 1949, 1994, 2018, and 2019 with the all-star cast of, I'm going to mess up all these names, but Soroy's Ronan? Sersha. Sersha. Wow. Okay. She's Irish. Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Eliza Scanlon, and Laura Dern. This story is much more than just four girls growing up in Civil War era Massachusetts, making jam and accidentally burning their dresses in the fireplace. And for that reason, today in the studio, I am joined by Executive Director of Feminists for Liberty, Kat Murdy. Thanks for having me. Libertarianism.org's marketing manager, Marianne March. Hello. And editorial fellow at USA Today, Haley Victory Smith. Heyo. Unexpectedly, Greta Gerwig's movie spurred quite the debate. So do you guys think this movie just appeals to women? No. People might see it as a movie just for women. There's sort of this idea that if women are the main characters, then it's meant for women. But it's a story about everybody. And I think especially the book is a book that's for everybody. The movie kind of cuts out the main character, the male characters in a way. But if you saw that same thing in a mainstream movie, quote unquote, mainstream movie where all the characters were men, no one would say, is this a movie just for men? Right. What what are your thoughts, Haley? I have been on a bit of a tirade on Twitter. Um, <laughs> a friend, uh, Maddie Fry, and I have been like trying to combat all these like conservative men that are like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to go see it. And we're like, but it's good. You should see it. Um, so I think there's been a, a tendency among conservative male intellectuals uh, to kind of dismiss this book uh, or dismiss this film. Um, I'm going to do that a lot. This podcast, I can feel it. Me too. Um, to dismiss this film as, you know, something that really just appeals to women, something that um, they shouldn't have to kind of talk about or analyze or spend a lot of time um, and effort on. And I think that's really a, kind of a sad thing to do because really this isn't just a book that appeals to women. Um, obviously, it is written for women and about women and it primarily appeals to women, which is fine. Uh, but this is one of, I, I would say, arguably based on one of the probably top five great works of American literature. And if you're deciding, you know, I, I don't know, this book doesn't really appeal to me or this film doesn't, so I'm not going to read it or watch it. I think you're really missing out on one of the uh, kind of seminal works of female literature. And if you if you want to better understand women, uh, watching this film and, and reading the book are good ways to do that. And kind of just going off of that, too, the I haven't read the book for a while. And it's funny, the first time I remember reading it is I read it with my mom, like we read it together, um, or she would read some chapters to me and then I'd read some. And yeah. it was like in the process when I was like still like chapter books were a big thing, like <laughs> um, or it was like a monumental occasion that we got through it together. Um, and I actually haven't seen the 1994 film, but um, I was going back and looking through just like some research materials for this podcast. And I was like, oh, I wonder why I never saw it. And then I like went back and watched uh, a few scenes from it. And I and not that the 90, 1994 film wasn't good. I thought it, I thought it was a good standalone film. But watching it after seeing the 2019 film, I was like, wow, Gerwig did like an amazing job of retelling the story and also added a lot of elements that weren't in previous versions, whether it be previous film versions or the or the book version. So I thought. 
she added to the story, too. So even if you thought the original Little Women book was maybe just for women or appealed only to women, um, I think she added a lot of nuance to the movie that um, even suggests that this is a story for everyone. So I think we can even take it back to the book. And uh, Joe March, who's in many ways the title character and sort of a representation of Louisa May Alcott, kind of written as a character of what it was like for her growing up. Um, she's a writer, and she talks about this. She talks about how stories for women are seen as just for women, but they're stories about America and stories about growing up. And I think that that's, I mean, that's the thesis of the book, really. Right. I think that the numbers speak for themselves. This movie, just the nineteen, or just the 2019 version, grossed over $111 million uh, globally. So clearly it's not just women going to see this movie. And I think that as we've been discussing, there's a benefit to looking back and seeing how people's lives were during this time. I mean, normally when we talk about Civil War era stories, they're said in the war, they're about people fighting. And just the same way we benefit from reading Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, I think that people of all genders could benefit from reading, reading Little Women. And a lot of history, I think, gets lost um, from the fact that for so much of history, it's just part of the story that we hear. We hear usually the male story. Usually we hear an upper class male story. And we don't really see a whole lot of what's going on in other people's lives. And history is, isn't just in books. It's people living. And I think that works of literature or movies like Little Women, they give you a better understanding of the world and how the world works and how it was and what's changed and what hasn't. I think it's perfectly acceptable for men to, um, you know, see this movie or read this book and say to themselves, okay, this doesn't necessarily like appeal to me entirely, right? Like this isn't like the sort of thing I would just like choose to go out and see or read. Um, but okay, if you haven't read this, I would very much recommend it. Uh, G.K. Chesterton does, um, he does this, he does a series of essays kind of critiquing authors and he does one about Louise May Alcott. And some of the things that he writes about this are really, really profound insights, I think. Um, and he talks about the fact that like, he said, but two things are quite certain. First, that even from a masculine standpoint, the books are very good. And second, that from a feminine standpoint, they are so good that their admirers have really lost sight even of their goodness, right? So he understands that even men should really still try to read this book and try to understand it, even though it might be difficult for them. He um, describes uh, the proposal scene in the book between the professor and Joe as one of, uh, it's a really great quote, one of the really human things in human literature. And he talks about how um, Louise May Alcott and Jane Austen, he kind of compares them and said that they were very good um, at anticipating uh, the trend towards realist literature. And I think there is something, and he touches on this, there is something about kind of the, the, um, the feminine perspective that understands, I think, more of the day-to-day and what is... Um, what is profound and what is beautiful about the day-to-day life because women have often been the people who had to, you know, kind of live the day-to-day life, uh, particularly in times of war. And so, I don't know, I think it's really interesting. And I think if you're someone who just says to yourself, oh, I don't know, I'm not really interested, you're not giving yourself a chance um, to under to read and to list, uh, watch, you know, one of the most, I think, profound stories 
that's ever been written. This is also a book that was written in the Civil War era and is still one of the big bestsellers. It's still a book that's very much part of our pop culture. It's part of the dialogue. And part of that is because it's just so true. There's so much truth about how people live and the fact that it's carried over for so long tells you that that's something that's worth reading, I think. Um, you, I mean, you wouldn't hear people asking, like, is Tom Sawyer a movie that's good for women to watch? Should right. uh, should women watch Hamlet? <laughs> also, what speaks to the how widespread and just like successful this piece of literature has been is how many times it's been redone or remade or remastered whatever and Um, each time there's so much in there that just it still feels as if it could be your story even though it's historically true i mean it's i mean it's obviously it's a fiction work but (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of history baked into it because it was a contemporary book And most of that stuff is still stuff that young women and honestly, young boys growing up, you know, Laurie's a big character in the book, too. They're still going through and they're still experiencing those things. And it's still human truth. And we we had talked about this. So we uh, previously recorded an episode on Star Wars and the importance of representation in films. And each one of us, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, can like uh, relate, even though it's a like these girls are living in the civil war we can relate to the hardships they're going through and that's really important in terms of entertainment to be able to relate and kind of feel like oh i could like i've experienced some of these same things that this character is experiencing and i think part of the reason that there is this big outcry that this film's only for only for women and i put that in air quotes was partially because men thought they wouldn't be able to relate to the characters because it's all it's a largely female cast there there are male characters in there but they have very very few lines in comparison but I think part of it is that maybe our our culture in general is used to seeing the the main male character being like the powerful character and the one who is the most easily related to or the most you can easily relate to. But and that just doesn't exist well, in this film. In a lot of stories and films, we see that the women are there to serve the story of the male where they're the supporting characters and they just right. they drive him along. And sometimes they... There's a test. It's called the Bechdel-Wallace test, which is a measure of uh, representation of women in fiction. And basically, the requirements are that you have more than one woman. They talk to each other and they don't talk about the guy. They talk to each other in a scene without men in it. (laughs) Yes. yes. (laughs) And it's, it's just interesting how many new and old stories don't don't pass the test. Um, and this one clearly does. And I also wonder about self-fulfilling prophecies. If we tell men this isn't for you, just like we told cats, told everyone that cats wasn't for them. Because I wanted to see cats, but everybody said no, nobody's no, saying that, so no I couldn't. Cats. It was ruined for you. Yes, exactly. We so, are not doing cats on an up-and-coming pop and lock. Please. I I want that. Sorry. Go ahead. I'll go see it with you, but yeah. nobody can know. Yeah. Um, so I do just wonder about that for, for men, like maybe men who would have been interested in seeing it were told this isn't, this isn't for you and then didn't go see it. I okay, so I've been like tracking what a lot of different um, men have been saying about this, and because uh, it's triggering me. And um, so one of the things that was um, written in uh, so in National Review, um, it, who was it? Who wrote this? I wrote it down. It was Kyle Smith. Yes, sorry. And I like a lot of what Kyle Smith writes, so this is not like me bashing him. Um, but he said in the he did a review of the piece, which was not really a review of the piece. It was basically like men don't need to see little women, you know. And he said at the the last line of did the piece the was, movie? I don't know, probably but not. The he last did a line, review without seeing it. <laughs> at the last line, he says it's not necessary for men to become women. That's like no. 
But is it necessary for women that. to become men? No, what is nobody, that imply? nobody is arguing this. It's just to say that I think there's actually, when you touch on representation, I think the representation in this film personally is... Um, less about the gender of the characters and more so about the real human experiences that they have. So there are a few moments, um, there are tons of moments in the book and a few moments in the film where you say to yourself, like, yes, I've experienced that. Like, I, okay, I'm going to like, um, like tell on myself. Um, so I cried like a little bit in the film and I'm not usually like a a crier in films um but then i like got in my car and i cried for like 10 minutes <laughs> and i was like why am i doing this but it was just because it was like there were so many things in the film that i just felt like were profoundly relatable and um kind of hopeful and i think that men can experience that as well and one of the other things that chesterton wrote was that um he said any masculine reader is really an intruder among this pile of books but he still said he still felt like men should read it and that it was a profoundly good work of literature, but that you are going to feel like a little bit like out of your comfort zone. But that's OK, because in order to understand the opposite gender, um, it, it takes some doing. It takes some work. Uh, so the point yeah. of reading is to get new experiences and see new perspectives. And if you insist on only reading the perspectives you already have. Um, but what I think was pretty interesting, too, I reread the book recently. I'd read it a couple times as a kid. I tried to get through it before this podcast, and I didn't have enough it time. It is so long. I finished yes. it yes. last night. Uh, it was yes. it was long. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, anytime you convert a book to a movie, one of the things they're going to do, they're going to cut a lot. This movie also just really changed around. Like, they changed the whole timeline. They kind of made it more contemporary. Yeah. Right. And they sort of, although all the lines were basically from the book and all the stories were basically from the book, they also sort of thematically changed it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the book itself is a heavy religious tome. That's essentially what it is. It's great. Anyone can read it from any background. Growing up, I didn't really read that into it. As reading it as an adult, it's very clear. Louisa well, May Alcott says that no, no, no. It's very enjoyable. They like it's very enjoyable. They read Pilgrim's Progress, but they read Pilgrim's and, Progress. Yeah. She talks about sermons. She gives sermons at times when she has long things. She even says like, "And I'm sure my readers are tiring of this, so I shall get back to the story." Um, so obviously, they're going to cut a lot out. But what I thought was interesting when they made the movie. Um, it was not just that they changed the timeline, but they also sort of changed the focus. They made it more just about feminism and just about the women. And the book has these heavy male characters who play a big role, whether it's Laurie or Professor Bear or uh, Father, who plays a major role. You see him in a couple scenes in the movie. You basically, like, where are the men? The men are cut out. I think from a story, as a movie, it's a fantastic movie. But I think, if anything, the movie is aimed at a female audience more than the book is. I thought so. I thought it was very interesting. I, I was looking for a breakdown of like how much time a male character was talking in this movie versus female characters, but I could not find it. But um, I thought about the father character. He is off in the Civil War and we get letters from him in the movie. They read, I think, one letter from him maybe two yeah on christmas and then they don't really mention missing him all that much they like they he's only mentioned in passing um because he's not a focal point of the story at least i think and then when he comes and he wasn't in the book either but... yeah and then when he comes back from war 
Um, they're obviously overjoyed to see him. He comes back on Christmas. Christmas is also a focal point of this movie, and this movie came out on Christmas Day, so that was all very it's intentional. Focal point of the book, as yeah, well. yeah, and. I thought it was interesting because even when he did come back, you still didn't see him in the film all that often. You saw him at the wedding towards the end. And some of and I was picking up Marianne and I saw this together. I was picking up that most of his lines were actually like comedy. Yeah, like, he was setting up Marmy for jokes. Yeah, he was like setting up <laughs> jokes, which I thought was really interesting because like he his character obviously we didn't develop his character all that much in the movie but I just thought even when he did talk it wasn't necessarily him adding a whole lot of substance it was more of like he was almost comedic relief um which I appreciated because I thought the I thought the movie was kind of like it was very heavy there's something comical just about seeing Bob Odenkirk (laughs) anyways yeah I think he's great He's great. Oh, he's fantastic. You wouldn't oh, have yeah. known he was the father in the movie necessarily if you hadn't read the books, though. And I actually really liked the way that the movie handled it. But I think that we lost something as well in the, the way that these characters, the male characters aren't flushed out like they are in the book. And you get a lot of really interesting conversations where they're talking about the role of gender and they're talking about, um, especially when it comes to raising sons versus raising daughters and uh, marriage. And you kind of get a little of that in the, in the movie, but you don't get it in the same way. There's this great scene of where Meg is a young mother and she's struggling with her twins and her mother tells her the problem is, is you're taking it all on your own and... Uh, your husband is your partner and he needs to be doing part of it. Make sure he's in the nursery. Make sure he's helping with the children because they're his children, too. And you're cheating yourself and you're cheating your kids and you're cheating him if you guys aren't equal partners in in, in raising your children. And that's that's first off a message that resonates nowadays. Yes. Right. But it's <laughs> also this very feminist message. And it was very controversial then, even as it's somewhat controversial now. Okay, so I would disagree with kind of the assessment that this is like a profoundly feminist book or film. And okay, so and I would disagree. I think uh, both sides have said this. So conservatives have tried to kind of dismiss it in a way, not all, but some have tried to say, oh, well, you know, they, the film takes out all mentions of God and and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and so it's it's more feminist and it changes the ending a little bit. So it's kind of, you know, oh, OK. And then um, I think on the left as well, there has been a tendency to kind of build up this film as like this rah, rah feminist film. And I think the trailer kind of gave an impression that this was more of a feminist feminist film than it actually was. I think when you actually get into the movie itself, I don't know that there's... I mean, I guess you can call certain bits of the film feminist, I think. But I also just think it's just kind of a... um, just an accurate representation of the female experience, you know, and it's, okay. it doesn't yeah, have yeah. to necessarily be like in that sense. Right. It, it doesn't have to be like intentionally. Do you know what I'm saying? Like intentionally political or intentionally. Um, I think uh, Greta Gerwig actually sold it as a bit more of a feminist film than it ended up being. Uh, there's the one scene which I, you know, we can maybe get into later. There's the one scene where um, she's in the attic talking to Marmy and she she said, um, you know, women are what they're not just hearts, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's the, the scene that was in the trailer. But then it cuts off before she gets the moment she's where she says, but I'm also really lonely. And she like and she wants she does want this companionship and partnership. And she doesn't do what Louisa May Alcott did 
and never marry, she gets married. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. The whole engagement is so interesting, I think, the way that it was changed. Um, in the book, Professor Bear, he's a bachelor. He's a bachelor from Germany, um, and he's raising his uh, sister's children. And everyone thinks that he's uh, very weird that this man wants to take an active role in raising children, and yeah. it's kind of frowned upon for that. And that's one of the things that Joe likes about him. Um and then you kind of miss that in the movie where he becomes a much younger character and it becomes much more romantic. So I think you can also bring that up, too. So let's go back to that scene that you were just talking about, because it was obviously one of the mo- more powerful scenes of the entire film. Um, oh, yeah. and she did such a brilliant job acting. Her face was all oh, right. I yeah. loved it. She was. Yeah, she did a really great job. Um, so kind of what I was thinking while I was watching it was like, yes, this is like the climax. Like the, she's finally going to like just like. Because you could tell it was boiling, like she her life was like boiling, and she was like, it, she's going to crack at some point. So um, the, the also in addition to like the quote you had said, she she said how women have minds, and we're not just like we're not just like tools of romance. Um, and I thought it was very interesting that she did follow up with that. And but I'm lonely, and I thought we could t- we could kind of delve that out more because I think that resonates more with a 2019 crowd than it would have in the book. Oh, I don't think so. You don't think so? No. I think it resonates with everyone. Okay. I think that, um, I of course, the role of women has changed over time, um, you know, and kind of what is appropriate in social, what are our social norms. But I do think that that message of women being more complex creatures would appeal to women of any age and era. I think, too, so... Not that not maybe loneliness. I think women, it's obviously changed since when the book was written, but over time, how we present ourselves in public. So there's another scene that ties into this where Marmee is talking to Joe and I think they're sitting on the floor and Beth is in the bed and Joe asked Marmee or Marmee says something about how she's always angry. And Joe was like taken aback by that. She was like, well, you never like look that way. You always like happy and you're like and I just thought that was so interesting because she – I resonated with that in the sense that you ha- – maybe like you shield your anger, you shield your your larger emotions because women are – especially in that time period weren't supposed to be like over – weren't supposed to be. I put that in quotes. Uh, overly emotional or they were like always like – they were always second to their husband and they had to do whatever their husband wished of them. Um, and I just thought that – I thought that scene – was very subtle but very interesting the fact that it showed things that women hide from society so like the anger the loneliness stuff like those types of feelings i think it's less i okay so that scene and the other scene i kind of interpret in a different way um the the anger scene that from having read the books a few the book it used to be books uh the book one time or a few times um I think that that comes more from a place of um, there's a a theme throughout the book of teaching yourself discipline. And um, this comes with the themes about God. Uh, Now, God is mentioned a lot in the book and, and God was not mentioned basically at all I don't in think the film. It, yeah. I don't think maybe once, um, which to me felt like a bit of a loss uh, because I think it kind of goes away from a, a bit of the original intent of the film. But I also don't know that the characters um, were changed so much that you couldn't still feel that influence. And I think this is one of the places where that influence happens, where um, Marmee has taught herself the discipline to be able to keep 
her anger to herself and that she doesn't um that it is seen as virtuous and i think it is um to not always go flying off the handle you know and uh that she's been able to teach herself to do that and that is really i think one of the central uh, themes of the book um that comes out in this film well i think the the movie also sort of contemporizes the story in a way that it doesn't have to explain historical context to people. And the religion is part of that because in the book, a lot of the ideas, like the idea that the little women should go out and work and that they shouldn't just be, quote unquote, kept women, married women who stay at home and don't do anything, uh, that they should earn their, quote unquote, earn their keys, <laughs> that they should... um that they should enter into marriages for love and respect as opposed to marriages for money, that uh, it doesn't matter if they marry a rich man or a poor man, uh, but for their beliefs, and they should be able to support themselves within that. And um, all of these different types of views, the the fact that um, they even talk about in the book how uh, the 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 father is the head of the household, but the mother is equal, and at no point should she be viewed as below. Uh, which is these are all like religious themes. They come specifically from Louisa May Alcott's religion, mm-hmm. and they're also very strongly um, they're feminist themes too, and they're very strongly leading into the themes we see coming out in the movie, coming out in the book. But when they remove that religion, because they don't want to explain the context of this whole religious background and how those were unusual views because of her religion, whereas in the book, it's just expected they do that in the movie. It's just expected that it's like, oh, it's just part of the theme in the movie. Yeah. And then I find that in the book, there are a lot of references to to God, but usually not stated directly as G.O.D. God. There's friend. Yes. Friend, father. The girls are told that even when their father is sick and possibly on death's door, that they will still have a father even mm-hmm. even if he dies, mm-hmm. even if he dies. Um, so I think that it's even though it's throughout the book, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think it's heavy handed. I think that it is woven into their lives because they are they're it's religious. A part of their lives. It's yes. a part of their lives and it's how they live their lives. But it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not meant to be like a primer on religion. Marriage comes up a ton in this film. So I believe one of the first times you see that it or that you can perceive that it might be like a big theme in the movie is when Joe is talking to Mr. Dashwood, the publisher, and they're talking about how to end her story. And she um, Mr. Dashwood suggests, well, your story has to end with a woman dying or getting married. Those are the only endings that that people or the audience care about. Um, Obviously, Joe is doesn't agree with this but what what do you think what it my actually my question is more so how is mr dashwood an interesting character in the larger narrative of the story and what do you think his suggestions about marriage are that was my favorite scene that was my favorite scene um because it's so meta it's meta because it's that story the movie ends on this like incredibly romantic note and they even restructure the whole movie to be about joe's romance which the book isn't so much right they really center that romance it's also uh louisa may alcott wrote the book uh in part based on her own experiences but louisa may alcott is joe 
But in her book, Joe gets married and has children. Louisa May Alcott didn't. Yeah. Well, it's my understanding that just like they portrayed in the movie with through Joe, that Louisa May Alcott did want to end her story with Joe being a spinster writer and was pressured to to marry her off in the end. Right. Exactly. It's a commentary on a commentary on a commentary. It was so powerful. Yeah. And it just carries through the centuries. So Louisa May Alcott never got married. And I think... Part of that, it does come through, like through Joe specifically, but... But also Amy. Yeah, through Amy as well. And, but I thought it was interesting. So you all are, are, you all are assuming that Joe had gotten married because at the end when they're in the, because I was, I was reading some commentary on this and I hadn't thought about it. So at the end, they're in, um, Aunt March's old house and it's the, um, Joe has a school with Professor, with Professor Bear and she's walking through the backyard and Amy's painting and, um, Meg is, I think she's acting with her husband. Amy has a new born um with laurie and she's and joe's holding her book and bringing it to her to marmy who's i think it was assumed it was marmy's birthday that they were celebrating at the end and professor bear is there i never made the assumption that they had gotten married oh no they got married well, they got married in the book, but right. that's actually an interesting point. Maybe in the movie, they're really trying to get more to Louisa May Alcott's life mm. as opposed to the book where she kind of did end up living with a couple and doing a lot of things with her life. But she never got married. There, there in that are sense. other nods in the movie, too, that imply that that Joe is Louisa May Alcott. Yeah. Uh, there are instances where Joe is seen writing with one hand and stretching her hand out and then writing with oh, the other mm-hmm. hand. And this is a nod to Louisa May Alcott, who taught herself to be ambidextrous after an illness. And I thought that was just a cute moment and and reemphasized to me that Joe is Louisa. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah, I don't know. I I think that's kind of a an interesting theory, I guess. But my assumption has been. We're kind of going off of the assumption of the book, and unless I'm explicitly told so by the by the filmmaker, I'm going to assume that it kind of, you know, it, all indications seem to point to but that. But it kind of makes it, it more exciting that way, right? Because you don't know how it ended, and it also it almost plays back on that scene uh, with her publisher because we're filling in the romance, right? right? They're not actually making it explicit. Well, and I also think I think that was an intentional not to show them getting married at the end, right? Where I think. We're supposed to, at least I think, we're the audience sees it as her book is like this is the climax, like her book. She got it published on in her terms, and that's supposed to be like the big success of the story, and not the wedding, of, or not the marriage of them. So I think it would have it would have taken away from the movie had they done a big marriage, a big wedding scene at the end. But I had I thought. The central theme there was that, oh, this is a big accomplishment, especially in this time period for a woman that got her book published. And then she negotiated her contract. I and, love that negotiation oh, we're gonna scene. we're going to talk about it. She negotiated her contract. And I thought it was the success or the like heartwarming part of the story was that she was successful in her writing, not that she, not her romance, but I guess you guys all saw but that it differently. that is not how the book ends. Right, I know. Right, which I think is why we saw it differently, yeah. but I like this. I'm actually kind of driving off of this alternate explanation now, because I think I like, like four they're or kind of leaving it, it up there. Right, but I think we're also, this also shows how 
attuned, I mean, maybe not attuned, but how used we used to we are of like the romance story, right? Of the rom com of she gets the, the boy in the end. Even when I was, but they they kissed guys. But that doesn't mean they're <laughs> married. They also, okay. they also restructured but, the movie to make it about Joe's romance. Maybe which we should I tell. Do. Maybe we should tell the audience how the book ends. Yes. Someone want to do that? Cat <laughs> <laughs> read it the most. So this is this is the first book of a series. So you know how series always end yeah, with a little, little bit of a is after that, right? One. Exactly. Yeah. So she does. Uh, Joe does marry um, marry the professor, and um, everyone gets married. Everyone's happy. They have kids, um, and so. All the little women uh, are married with children, et cetera. And there's some actually really cool scenes about how the professor interacts with the kids and stuff like that. The school, which in the movie, I thought it was such a powerful, cool movement moment where they say she wants to start a school because they never had a formal school like that. I mean, Amy went to a formal school, but it wasn't really a good one. She was abused there. Yeah, yeah. right. And they pulled her out. Yeah. Casual. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah, they but... just kind of threw that in. Yeah. Yeah, but that would, I mean... Of the time period. It would basically be normal. Yeah. I mean, not to, like, not abuse necessarily, but like, but the corporal punishment. But that's, that again comes back to Lisa May Alcott's religion where they were opposed to that. Oh, Uh, she was opposed to that. And there's a long section in the book where they're talking about uh, how corporal punishment shouldn't be used. Oh, yeah. uh, Everything should be reason and morality. I actually think Louise May Alcott's interpretation of this is pretty unique. You say that it relates to her religion. And and I I would agree with you. Um, I don't know that it necessarily relates, though, to the way to the um, religion of the time period. She was she interpreted uh, religion in, a, I think, in a unique so way. So this is actually interesting. As I was rereading the book, because I read it as a child at first, and as a child I didn't pick up the religious themes as much. And when I was reading it, it's there are heavy religious themes, but it's not explicitly one religion. So I was trying to figure out uh, what religion she was. It kind of seemed like maybe Quaker, maybe Unitarian. Yeah, I don't know. Well, she and I looked it up. I looked it up, and she grew up in a Quaker family. She, yes. Um, yeah, that's she right. She then that's right. became involved as an adult, became involved with the Unitarian Church, but she never explicitly um, decided on either religion. She didn't really like organized religion. She went to meetings of both every single day of her life, and she saw it as a personal thing. She did. She explicitly said she didn't like organized religion. So this was very much it's religious, but it's her religion. It's her religion. Her father was actually the headmaster at my high school in the 1830s. She grew up like, yeah, she grew up in like Germantown, Pennsylvania. And then they they ended up moving 37 times in her in her lifetime. But when she was a young girl, that's where they lived or in 1830s. That's where they lived, Um, which is probably where she got the strong Quaker influence from just because they those uh, Quakers um, are very strong denomination in Pennsylvania, especially that part of Pennsylvania. I think her father was a um, a like he was not a pastor, whatever the word would be for Quakers. But he was a, a, leader, a leader in of the their, church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of keep going on this marriage topic there later in the film. We uh, I believe it was Amy talking to Lori when she's giving up on all her dreams. Right. So there's big scene. She doesn't want to be a painter anymore. She's not good enough. She's giving up on her dream. Mind you, she's in France or she's I think she's in Paris. Mm-hmm. And um, she with Aunt Marsh and just chase after these dreams. And she says, well, I'm just going to get married to Friedrich. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Vaughn. Yeah. I'm just going to get married and um, 
marriage is only for economic advantage anyway. And Lori, it's interesting because Lori fights back on her that like, oh, you don't really love him, which I thought was interesting coming from a male character because like she the female character amy is essentially saying well you know i i don't have any money and aunt march told me i was the only hope left for our family because everyone else married didn't marry any, marry anyone with any money but there's a lot of truth to that scene. yes there's so much truth to that scene and the fact that Lori looks at marriage as a romantic commitment whereas amy looks at it as an economic commitment is very true to the age there really wasn't many ways for a woman to support herself she really did need to have a man with money whether that man was her husband or some other relative she couldn't own things she couldn't work in in most fields there just wasn't a lot of ways to support a family without marrying up and there's this whole pressure where um her aunt, Aunt March, represents this sort of like modern thinking of the time or not modern, the contemporaneous thinking mm-hmm. that as a woman, her duty to her family is to bring in uh, someone who can support them versus her parents keep talking to her about how, no, we, we want to raise independent women who can work. We don't care if you're spinsters. We care that you do good work and commute and um Aunt March calls them crazy for that. And I think actually she's working from a very Amy is making a lot of sense for someone from that time period um, where nowadays women can marry for love because women can also support themselves. They couldn't before. Yeah. But I do think that the marriage as an economic decision still carries over. Absolutely. We see people getting married all the time for insurance. Or not. That's not romantic. <laughs> right. Or not getting married because if they do so, they'll lose food stamps or they'll get kicked out of their section housing, aid housing, et cetera. Um, and just a million different things. Look at the tax code, right? Depending on how much your husband makes, how much, you know, how much your spouse makes and how much you make, um, it's either going to penalize you or benefit you. You And it's set up the way that the tax code is set up is in order to push people into certain types of households, certain types of life li- lifestyles uh, that are largely one person out working and one person home with kids. And I also think it's interesting because even in that same conversation, she talks about, well, even if I did make it, so to speak, even if I became a great painter or great artist like as soon as i got married none of that wealth nothing i gained from it would be mine anymore it would be his and i would be i would be his property and then she even talks about her children she was like which i thought was very poignant she talked about she's like i'm gonna have a family i'm gonna have children and there no one's gonna ever say oh those are my kids they're gonna say they're his kids well it's also from a historical legal perspective as soon as she got married she wouldn't own any property she would no longer be a legal entity actually mm-hmm. it wasn't until the 70s that married women were allowed to legally exist as a separate human. They weren't allowed to represent themselves in court. They couldn't open a bank account. They couldn't buy prop buy or sell property. They couldn't have a credit card. Um, she, legal, she legally would have been part of the man. Her children legally would have been um, would have been her husband's. If, for instance, she was in a situation where she was getting abused and she left, she would never get to see her children again. There wasn't any sort of other custody agreement. They belonged to her husband. If, for instance, she her husband had died, it would be basically up to a male relative to figure out what was going to happen with her and her children. I mean, this was just the economic realities of the time. 
Yeah. And I think also in the scene I'm just now remembering, they said something about like, oh, who's in Club Genius anyway? It was like... It's it, all men. Yeah. And it, it was very funny. I laughed just because I was like, oh, that's a funny way to say it. But to them, to w- women felt like they could never, like, it was an exclusive club, that they weren't going to get to a point in their life where they could have upper mobility solely because of their... I think it's still true, though. Think about how we started off this podcast talking about whether or not The Little Women is a movie for men, too, or if it's just for women. Why? Because it's about women. It's by a woman, a woman author, a woman director. Um, it's the same way. That's what Amy was kind of getting at. Even if she were the best painter, she would still be the best woman painter. Yeah. This is kind of a, a larger, more meta meta question. Do you think Joe is a hero? I mean, it sort of depends on how you view a hero, right? Right. So especially for this time period, Joe... Joe, obviously, as we've suggested, this movie revolves around Joe um, and her ability, her work ethic, her ability to um, still connect with her family and her ability to make money on her own. And she's kind of like a, a little bit of a workaholic, but like that's that's not too uncommon today. Um, she's a workaholic, but she also kind of views it as like her guilty pleasure that she works right. because she's a woman. She should be doing the household things, not writing, not yeah. selling her stories. But they're all workaholics. I mean, they portray it in the movie to be more so Joe, but all of them. I mean, Amy was incredibly diligent. That's why she gets her foot trapped in plaster because oh, it's a I nod to the book when she's yeah. going through every phase of painting and sculpting. And she's trying every style of art. Yes. And yeah. even even quiet little Beth keeps very busy keeping house and tending to her dolls. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I kind of thought of it when I was I thought Joe. I, I don't know. if I mean, I'm sure the movie intentionally did this. I was able to relate to Joe the most just because. I mean, I'm I'm not married. I don't have children. So me relating to Emma Watson's character in this film wasn't as easy. Um, but I think that it was – I'm framing her as a hero more so because I think she was the most relatable character to me. Was there someone you guys related to more? So growing up, I – no. But growing up, I related to Joe a lot, and I thought it was because of my personality. Right. Uh, but – and I think that's somewhat true, but re- rereading it as an adult, I was also realizing that the perspective is all Joe's. Even when things are happening to mm-hmm. other people, it's kind of through Joe's perspective. And I think it's because Louisa May Alcott was writing Joe essentially as herself. So, I mean, she's the protagonist of the book. It might be little women. It might be four women. There's a bunch of other main characters. But really, you see everything through Joe's lens. Uh, Even when Amy's uh, somewhere else, when Marmee goes uh, to the Union Hospital to take care of her, their father, uh, you only hear about what's happening through the letters. But when Joe goes to New York, you see what's happening in New York. As a girl, I didn't really like this book very much. And the reason is because, and you (laughs) wrote this in our notes. Have you read the book? I have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because you said you were like, you were sad when um when uh when, when Joe doesn't yeah. end up with Lori. So I, Marianne and I saw this together, and I was like, no, because I was kind of hoping they would they would do like they something would surprise. It. No, yeah. okay, so because I, when I was little, I wanted yes. that's what you want Lori and Joe to be together. Everyone yeah. did, <laughs> and I think now as an adult, I relate much more to the story. And I think I appreciate it much now, much more now um, as I've gotten older. And as, you know, you have these experiences of losing love and, and um, you know, that, that 
the thing that the future that everyone kind of had pictured for you it maybe doesn't necessarily pan out that way and that it's okay to to not pick that and to pick something else i found um i'm gonna go back to the scene one more time uh the attic scene when she says what was so profound to me about that is that I think that every woman has experienced the pressure from themselves to be with someone that they didn't love because they didn't want to end up alone. And I think that is what Joe is worried about. She's so profoundly lonely that she just is like, so she does, she has that scene where she's going to go and she's She's going to say to Lori that she acted too quickly and then Lori comes back married, you know, and um, I just found that to be so just profoundly um, relatable and real. And I think, yeah, I mean, it is a little sad, but in another way, I don't see it that way. I see it as, um, you know, now she's with the professor and like, that's really probably the person she should have been with all along. Lori just wasn't the right sort of person for her. And she needed to find someone who was who was more mature. And in the book, he's he's a pretty old guy. You know, yeah, he's in his 40s yes. and she's in her early now, 20s. I was I was personally glad that they used because in the previous movies, they haven't used very attractive actors. <laughs> <laughs> they fixed they that. used what's his name. And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, but I just think that there is something that is just so profoundly beautiful about that. And um um, I don't know. I just really appreciated the way that it was portrayed in the film. And I think that, um, I don't know. So that's what makes me kind of relate to the story. That was the reason that I cried in my car for 10 minutes after the film was over was because it just it felt so real to my own experiences. So kind of going off of that scene, as well as like the Joe and Laurie relationship, I think part of the reason in the movie where I think they built up Joe and Laurie a whole lot more than we got of Professor Bear compared to the book. So, like, Professor Bear was an as an as-developed character in the movie. Like, you saw him in passing in the beginning. We met him. He was trying to be tough on Joe, and she did she, which was another scene I could relate to, that she was, he was trying to be tough on Joe because he thought she was a good writer, but Joe took it as, like, criticism that he was wrong. Um, and in the book, he's criticizing her because he thinks that she's writing about topics she shouldn't write about that aren't becoming of a woman and aren't... Oh, I forgot Which, yeah, about it was that. Very well, she does. Yeah. She, she does write a lot. She, you know, wrote those very dramatic stories. And Louise May Alcott did the same thing, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So I think in the movie, when I was watching it, and more so when I got sad, I was just like, man, like they just built up this whole thing from an entertainment standpoint. Like just looking at the movie and not considering what already happened in the book, I was just like, dang, they just look so good together. <laughs> but like, um, I also thought it was interesting because we got to that scene towards the end, and we've already had like a movie chock full of quotes from Joe that she's like very uh, a strong individual and she um even said early early on in the movie uh to Lori that she can't get over the disappointment of being a girl which i thought like that quote really stuck out to me partially just because in this time period girls thought they didn't really have a future that was their own but it was interesting coming from joe because she was this she's been like a strong individual this whole movie um so that was another quote that kind of built laurie and joe's relationship up for me just to be like more disappointed by the i wonder if joe would have been less disappointed for being a girl if she was born today because it seems like the things that she wanted to do the boyish things that she was interested in are she wanted to watch sports yeah and using slang and 
I feel pretty free to do those things if I want to. She liked being friends with boys, and she Mm -hmm. didn't like that she wasn't allowed to do that. And, you know, uh, I kind of want to tie together everything we're saying because um, that line right there and what you were saying earlier about how you didn't relate to the book as much when you were younger and you do more. Mm -hmm. I really felt like when I read it as a kid, I related to Joe because of things like her saying that she wished that she was born a boy because I felt like when I was a kid, there were, were a lot of things that I was constantly told, no, that's for boys you can't do. And as an adult, I don't feel those same barriers at all. And I also think that I relate a lot more to a lot of the other women and a lot of their struggles because I've grown up and I've seen those kinds of things happen. Um, but also I really want to talk about that Lori love story because they treat it so differently. In um, Yeah, I think I liked the way that it played out in the book. I mean, I'm sorry, in the movie, but... In the book, it's so different. She can tell that Laurie likes her. I mean, it takes her a long time. It's obvious that he likes her from the time they first meet. But she kind of gets that feeling that Laurie likes her. And she also thinks Beth is kind of sad because she knows she's dying. But Joe mistakes and she feels like she's going to miss out on having a husband and kids and stuff. But Joe mistakes it as Beth is pining for Laurie. So the reason she goes to New York uh, that she has this long sit down with Marmy and she tells her essentially part of the thing she's worried about is she she doesn't she's worried that Lori's going to propose to her. She's really good friends with him, but she just doesn't feel romantic feelings for him. And she's hoping that she'll marry um, that he'll be interested in Beth instead if she leaves. And, and so she leaves for that reason. She yeah. avoids Lori for a long time. Um, and of course, the proposal also doesn't happen at this wedding. As as they're leaving Meg's wedding, um, Lori's grandfather actually tells him that he'll be happy as long as he marries one of the remaining March girls. Um, so it's always that. And when Beth says that she's dying, and then Lori proposes to her, and she's trying to stop him from proposing, and he does it anyway. And then she she says, "No, I can't do it. I'm I've tried. I went away. I tried to think about how I could. I just I can't do this." Um, she actually says to herself, he's upset and he's kind of does this whole thing. And she says to herself, I hope that he marries Amy because she's the only one left for him. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to Europe and Amy kind of like talks to him being like, look, you're acting as if she owed you marriage and you mm-hmm. didn't. And it's just, it's such a different, he's playing this like nice boy, nice guy character, nice guy TM, you know, you see yeah. on the internet, <laughs> um, that Amy talks him out of. And so that marriage was the marriage Joe wanted them to get married so much. And she was so happy when they got married. And that lonely moment, that was her being lonely that she felt like everyone else was growing up and she couldn't do things because she wasn't getting married. That's something that I definitely relate to is the loneliness. And I I wish that I had read this book as a kid. I did not. I read it for the first time this year. And I... I would love to convince myself that I'm a combination of all the characters, but really I'm an Amy. And but I still relate a lot That's to honest. Joe. Nobody says that. Everyone <laughs> thinks they're a Joe. So good yeah. for you. <laughs> but I do relate a lot to Joe, and especially the the moments where she is angry when Meg is getting married because she doesn't want to lose her sister. I have an older sister, and I remember having that realization of, oh, I'm never going to have the same relationship. And when she has her her breakdown with Marmy and says how lonely she is, that's it's not unreasonable that she should be lonely. She should be lonely. She was in New York in a new city, a huge new city away from her family. Her beloved sister had just passed away. She doesn't enjoy going out on visits as described in the book. So the last scene, which I thought was 
very powerful and it was towards the end and kind of I wanted how I wanted to wrap this up is when Joe is negotiating with Mr. Dashwood for her book. I thought it was incredibly interesting because they're going back and forth. He's like, oh, I'll give you 5% royalty. I won't pay you up front. And it's very rare that you see um, this type of negotiation between a man and a, a man and a female at one in a movie, but even like in common in the workplace, women are 40% less likely than men to negotiate their contracts in a work environment. And I just thought it was so powerful and such a great way to end the film as like the ending dialogue because it's kind of going through it's interesting because it's going through this sequence where you're seeing Joe at her new school and you're seeing her in the backyard and they're all celebrating then you're going back to Joe talking about how she doesn't how she wants 10% royalty and not 5% royalty and I just thought it was a it was a great sequence to end the movie and such a powerful note that again like I'm going back to what I said earlier is why I didn't think the romance was the central theme just because I saw that as the powerful ending but I mean, when you look at the book, obviously, romance. No, I don't think romance was really the central theme of the book either. No. I think it's certainly part of it, but it's not really how the book ends. Um, it's not, it's, it is certainly woven into mm-hmm. the story. It's an this, element. Yes. I think this is very similar um, to like Anne of Green Gables, for example. Yeah. Anne of Green Gables is not really about the romance between her and Gilbert. You have to get like a few books in um, to really get that part of it. Uh, it's it's about a whole lot of other themes. It's mostly about day-to-day common life and portraying the real human emotions that we experience from day to day. And romance is a part of that, but it's not the only part. And um, this would be separate from Jane Austen, who really all of her books are about the romance. And yeah. look, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, but it's it's different. It's more of kind of, especially these longer works are usually more of kind of this narrative, and then we get to a the romance trickle. at a certain point. Yeah. yeah. And so I think the, the, the movie appropriately represented that that it wasn't just about the romance actually the i think the romance uh, the movie made it more about the romance in the book i don't know i mean maybe a little more but i think it's also because the pacing is yes, different right so it <laughs> that way. yes i agree that they made it more about the romance because reading the book I didn't know until Joe admits it to herself that Lori is interested in her. I never, through the writing, saw the little sly glances that he gives her in the movie. I saw it from the beginning, from that first scene. They're just so flirtatious. But that's the thing. Joe doesn't you realize. Mean in, the, in the book or... In, I'm I saw the book. it from the book. Mm-hmm. Like okay. The first time he meets, they meet at that dance, yeah. he's clearly flirting and she just doesn't see it. I guess I didn't see it either then because I just took <laughs> it as you're more of a joke than you thought. <laughs> Maybe so. I I love the negotiation scene principally because she wins the negotiation and that's also a portrayal that we we don't see because you know sometimes when you're negotiating you don't get what you want and sometimes you end up flat on your face. I've had that experience actually in a witch negotiation and was told to take a softer approach and Oof. I. So it was just nice to see, (laughs) to not only see a woman negotiating, but to see her successfully negotiating and, and keeping her power. That was really great. And I like the point where she talks about how she wants to own the intellectual property that is her book. Uh, she doesn't want to just get an upfront cost because it's her work and she, it belongs to her. I also th- felt like oh, I loved Saoirse Ronan so much. The, the acting in that scene was so good. She's just like so spunky. I'm like, yeah, girl, you yeah. go. And her, like, <laughs> her face doesn't change. She's like, oh, no, sorry. Like, 
try again. I loved yeah, it. it was, I loved it. It was a, and it was and it was it was just a powerful ending. I think we didn't touch on one of my favorite scenes in the movie, Go ahead. which I think was in the movie and honestly not really in the book. It kind of brought out something that I missed on reading the book the three times I've read it. Um, this is after the war. Okay. Marmy is working in like a refugee center for a Union soldiers type thing. Uh, and there's a scene where she's sort of like they're helping people uh-huh. go places. And um, they're like giving out blankets and... Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. And telling them like, hey, there's a family here that you can stay with until you can find your family, etc. Yeah. And um, she's working there and she's working next to a black woman. Mm, and yes. um, she says uh, she's talking about the Civil War and she's glad that the Civil War is over. And she's, of course, like from that perspective, she's from an abolitionist family. Right. And she says, I spent my whole life ashamed of my country. And the other woman says, no offense meant, but you should still be ashamed. Thanks for listening. If you watched the Oscars recently, you probably noticed that Greta Gerwig did not even get nominated for Best Director for her work in Little Women. Regardless of what the Oscars voters think, the newest edition of Alcott's beloved story is a must-see. So go buy your popcorn and raspberry slushy, rush to the theater, and after the movie, let us know which Little Women character you are on Twitter at Pop and Lock Pod. That's Pop, the letter N, Lock, with an E, Pod. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We look forward to unraveling your favorite show or movie next time. Pop and Lock is produced by Tess Terrible and Landry Ayers as a project of libertarianism.org. To learn more, visit us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.